Welcome to Sports Rivals with Monty and Ernie, lively, entertaining banter on sports topics you want to hear. One week before Super Bowl edition of the Sports Rivals. That's Ernie and I'm Monty. We're going to get you covered. We're going to break down Super Bowl between the San Francisco 49ers and Kansas City Chiefs. We'll tell you who we like, not only to cover the spread, but to win the game. We're going to talk a little bit about the NBA All-Star Game, who we think should have made the team, whether or not who we think should make it actually makes it we'll get that covered and in my closing thought i'll talk a little bit more about the nba but of course ernie it is one week before the super bowl everything is pointing to a great game Mm -hmm. i think you know let's let's take it from this perspective before we give our predictions let's kind of break it down from the perspective of kansas city offense versus San Francisco defense first. Where do you see the advantages or disadvantages for each team? I think the advantage for uh, the 49ers is that they, you know, they just have that terrific defense. I think for the, the, you know, a disadvantage for the Kansas City Chiefs is that they don't really have a true go-to other than Kelsey. They don't have a really secondary wide receiver. Uh, They got a decent running back in Pacheco. Uh, not really world beaters, uh, uh, you know, a running game that would really scare any team out there. But, you know, throw that all to the wind. I really think this Kansas City Chiefs team can put points on the board, you know, against the San Francisco defense, even though they have, like, you know, an all-pro defense Stack at every, at every, at every position. Yeah. And I think that's the part that is that is kind of crazy. I mean, I think over the last month, month and a half, the San Francisco defense has not been the dominant defense no, you would it. expect, considering Pro Bowl players at every level of that defense. Um, so when you break it down, when you when you have a defensive line that has Javon Hargrave, Pro Bowler, uh, Nick Bosa, Pro Bowler, you also have Chase Young, you also have um, Eric Armstead, a tremendous strong defensive line Kansas City hopes to have Joe Tooney back I expected them to get overmatched by the Baltimore defense the number one sack defense in the league but they held up pretty pretty well and I think when you have two weeks for Andy Reid he'll figure out how to attack this um, and then you have the the unbelievable linebackers led by Fred Warner and then Dre Greenlaw are they going to be able to handle Travis Kelsey? Are they are they going to take one of them to go on Kelsey? And if they do, are they going to rough them up or try to rough them up and play physical uh, with them? And then even in the secondary, their secondary is strong as well with uh, with Ward back there. So on paper, uh, San Francisco's defense in a matchup against this version of Kansas City's offense, I would say advantage San Francisco with one major caveat. Something has gone wrong over the last four to five weeks. So, Patrick Mahomes will find a way to get it done. Now, whether they can light them up like, you know, they have been lit up by Baltimore and Detroit was going up and down the field. I'm not sure if they're fully capable of that, uh, which is why I I sense that if Kansas City is going to win, it's going to be 24 points 
and below. If it gets into the 30s, I would be a little bit concerned. I'm not sure the Kansas City Chiefs have the offense to put up that much points. They won last week, but they only scored 17 as well as they played. Uh, They won the week before, but they only scored, what, 27. Uh, So I think if it gets into the 30s, I think they're going to be in a little bit of trouble. Um, But I agree with you. I think on paper, San Francisco has the stronger unit. However, the trend right now is Kansas City's offense is playing better than they have been playing all year, and San Francisco's defense is playing worse than they've been playing all year long. So yeah. something has to give. Something has to give. And, and just to, uh, you know, I saw this stat recently that the San Francisco pass defense, even though they have, they have good players, uh, you know, on that, in that secondary, uh, they're really mediocre. They, they're like right in the middle of the pack as far as, Allowing yards against the, uh, you know, against for their opponent yards, you know, even less than that. I think they were ranked like 17th. Uh, you know, and you give Patrick Mahomes and like you said earlier, Andy Reid, who've been there, done that. You know, I mean, not that Kyle Shanahan is any pushover, but Kyle Shanahan, for all he's done, really has nothing to show for it as far as Super Bowl success. At least at least yet, at yeah. least so far. But you know what, you know what, you know for the life of me when you think about how good the San Francisco defensive personnel is, you know what Ernie, I think the reality is what may be the difference between uh, San Francisco defenses in the past and what's happening right now is D'Amico Ryans is no longer there. Mm. I mean, D'Amico Ryans was the defensive coordinator for the last three to four years when they were absolutely dominant. True. And we saw his coaching prowess yeah. uh, in Houston this year. And not that Steve Wilkes is not a capable defensive coordinator, but I think it's safe to say, objectively, this defense is not playing as well as they have the last three, four years with the same type of personnel. So maybe it's a D'Amico Ryan's impact. Well, well, that remains to be seen. Yeah, and you 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 allow a you allow a Jordan Love, you know, two weeks ago, and to tell you the truth, Green Bay gifted that win to San Francisco. Then you go last week where you have Jared Goff, who's a capable quarterback, been to the Super Bowl and all that, but you know, not someone who really scares you on paper. Then you get to Patrick Mahomes. Those, that's the underlying factor. Even though Patrick Mahomes doesn't have all the weapons as he, he had in yesteryears, you know, past championships, he has enough. I mean, to get to this part of the game, and again, I agree with everything you say. San Francisco, better defense than Kansas City's offense. The trending says otherwise. You know, if they were to play each other, in my opinion, 10 games, it would be 50-50 right down the line. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. Okay, so let's take a look at the other side of the ball. Let's go Kansas City defense versus San Francisco's offense. And this is what's going to be interesting because for me, um, Kansas City's defense has overachieved all year long. I mean, they played brilliant defense the entire season. Kansas City is where they're at because of yeah. their defense yes. uh, this year. And I think that's that's the part that is fascinating for me because San Francisco, again, is loaded. You have Ayuk, you have Debo Samuel, you have uh, 
You have George Kittles, right? So you have all of these weapons. McCaffrey. Yeah, but Kansas City side, you have a McDuffie. You have a great secondary. So I think the secondary matches well with the two studs. I agree. And then you have McCaffrey. And how are you going to handle McCaffrey? Um, you know, you have Nick Bolton there. Are you gonna Are you gonna have Nick Bolton kind of spying McCaffrey when he goes out for passes? Um, it's it's really really intriguing. I for Kansas City, I think the one player that the 49ers have to account for because he can be a game wrecker is Chris Jones, and we know how Trent Williams is an all world left tackle. Chris Jones is up the middle. He's not going to be dealing with Trent Williams. I think Chris Jones can overpower the middle of that line. And if he gets in Brock Purdy's face, um, I think that's going to be a problem. But I think Brock Purdy showed a little bit last week of his scrambling ability with some key runs in that second half, keeping drives alive. I think Kansas City will be better prepared for that. But I think Chris Jones is the factor. If Chris Jones is Chris Jones, I like Kansas City's chances to slow the 49ers down. If they can account for Chris Jones, I think the 49ers have a chance to do some some things offensively. Brock Purdy, um, he's proven enough to me that he's a capable quarterback. He can get hot uh, at times, but you put pressure on him, you put him in an uncomfortable position, I think he can be had. So that's kind of where I stand. What do you think about the matchup between the Kansas City D and the San Francisco O? Yeah, I'm going to agree with you. I think a lot has to do with, uh, you know, that pass rush. Not just, you know, the, I mean, just basically the, the front seven of of San Francisco, I mean, of, of, of Kansas City and how they can contain. Because their secondary is really good. They're ranked fourth in the NFL. Really good. So, you know, as far as them, I think they can negate the likes, of, not negate, but, you know, contain uh, the likes of Ayuk, you know, and Debo Samuels, you know, to a point. And, and again, uh, all it takes is one missed tackle and, and, you know, that San Francisco offense can, you know, embarrass Embarrass and, and I think that's the 49ers' strength. It's yards after catch. Yeah. Debo doesn't take bombs. There's very, very few times that you throw a bomb to Debo. It's the quick out, the two-yard pass that he takes to the house. Right. And you got to be able to tackle well. So they are great in coverage, those cornerbacks. But can they handle Debo's physicality? I, I think that's going to be that's going to be the key. Yeah, uh, that's that's going to be the, that's going to be key. More or less so is I'm not really. I'm not really worried about Brock's Purdy's scrambling ability. I mean, Lamar Jackson is twice the threat Purdy is. And, you know, uh, that didn't seem to, you know, hurt, you know, Kansas City last week. Albeit that the Baltimore Ravens did put 200 yards, you know, on that Kansas City defense in the second half. Uh, they weren't able to put in the points. And to me, that's all coaching. Uh, so that to me, that's going to be the third Factor, Andy Reid versus Shanahan, and I'm going to give the advantage to Andy Reid. Yeah, I, I I do too. I mean, Shanahan is a brilliant offensive coach, but then I think it comes down to those defensive coordinators. Steve Spagnola has had a phenomenal year. Yeah. He's been there for a while. He's the Kansas City defensive coordinator, and I think Steve Wilkes has underperformed with this San Francisco defense. So um, I think Shanahan will find ways to get creative. Um, but and Andy Reid is the best in the game right now. I mean, he really is. He is taking different teams with different strengths. Yes, he has Patrick Mahomes, but Belichick had Brady. You know, but it takes two. 
you know, it takes it takes both a great coach and a great quarterback to have this kind of prolonged, consistent success. So I would agree with you. I think Andy Andy Reid could prove to be the difference. So that being said, who do you like and by what score? I look for, uh, you know, there's two ways that I, because I can see either team winning. It's that it's that close. Mm-hmm. I see in this game uh, very important that Kansas City takes the early lead. I think if San Francisco takes the early lead, uh, I think it's going to be over. Uh, I think Kansas City takes the early lead. San Francisco comes back, makes it a game. It goes back and forth, back and forth. In the end, I think Kansas City uh, takes the game. I like it. 27-24 Chiefs. Okay. I, I also will take Kansas City. Um, a little bit lower scoring. One of the Kansas City issues has been actually getting the ball in the end zone. They're not really scoring touchdowns. So I see a bunch of field goals for them. So I see two touchdowns, three field goals. I have them with 23, San Francisco at 21, 23, 21, Kansas City and the under for me um, because the over under is 47. I think the game goes under. Um, like I said, if it gets into the 30s, that's that's not going to bode well. Uh, this is not last year's Kansas City team that won yeah. a shootout with the Eagles. Yeah. I think if it if it becomes a 30-point shootout, I would be really, really surprised if Kansas City can score that many points. They haven't been able to do it all year. As well as they're playing in the playoff, they haven't been able to do it in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. Um, 23-21 Kansas City. So both of us like Kansas City to cover the one and a half. Um, you have it slightly over. I have it slightly under. That probably means San Francisco wins by two touchdowns. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, I'd be first of all, I'd be disappointed, but and I'd be, I, I'd actually be shocked just the way that the, the the way these games have been. And I'm looking at competition versus competition. Uh, you know, Kansas City has, have, you know, they've beaten two. Actually, the Buffalo Bills. I would have chosen the Buffalo Bills and the Baltimore Ravens over Kansas City, but you know. You beat you beat both of them, and it. Uh, I'm a be, I'm a believer. You yeah. know, I'm just a believer. Uh, I you got you look towards the regular season, but the real to me the real uh, worth on how you play as a team shows in the playoffs. And there is something about understanding how to win. Yeah. And this Kansas City team has figured out how to win. The one Super Bowl that they lost to Tampa Bay, the whole offensive line was hurt and Mahomes was getting pummeled the entire game. So he loses to Brady. Um, Other than that, they've not lost in the Super Bowl. They had to come back from way back the last time against San Francisco. Last year was a great high-scoring game. Um, they, they know how to win. So we both think that they are going to win. Yeah. Now, if you had to pick an MVP, the obvious choice is Patrick Mahomes. Is that where you're going? Yeah, I mean, I mean it, would, it would have to be Patrick Mahomes. I mean, when was the last time you've seen a defensive player, you know, win the MVP in a Super Bowl? You'd have to go back to, I believe, the Dallas Cowboys, you know, what was that in the 70s for that when that last happened? Uh, or was it the Baltimore Ravens back in the early 2000s? I'm not sure. Uh, <clears throat> but very few. It's, it's usually offense. And I think if they're yeah. going to score 20 something, the only way I see a defensive player winning is if this is like 13 to 10 or something like that. Yeah. But I see Patrick Mahomes winning the MVP. You know, so that's the obvious choice. And I would think that he would be the overwhelming favorite if they win to be the MVP. But it could be Travis Kelsey if he has another big time game against the Ravens. 
I'm going to go dark horse. I'm going to go Isaiah Pacheco. I think he hey. rushes for two touchdowns. Your. I think he gets I think he gets 100 yards rushing, over 100 yards rushing, two touchdowns. Patrick Mahomes throws for no oh. touchdowns uh, and 250 yards. I like Isaiah Pacheco, Pacheco. from Portugal. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I know a lot of Pachecos from Hilo. <laughs> <laughs> Those of you from Hilo, Hilo remember Mina Bird uh, Pacheco. And then there's Josh Pacheco Josh right now Pacheco, yeah. on ESPN Radio. So that's our Super Bowl predictions. Again, check us out on, on social media, Sports Rivals Podcast on IG and Facebook, Sports Rivals Pod on Twitter. Tell us what you think. Break down the game for us. Tell us who you think will win, uh, what, who you think will be the MVP. We'd love to dialogue with you. Like Ernie alluded to, it could it's anyone's game. There's a reason it's a one-and-a-half-point spread. Uh, anyone could win. We break it down the way we see it. I think right now Kansas City's playing a little bit better than San Francisco yeah. is, but that doesn't matter if it doesn't happen next week, Sunday, February the 11th. So the last thing that I wanted to talk about, Ernie, is we, we kind of talked about this off the air a little bit, um, but the ratings for the NFL has been off the charts. 56 million people watch Baltimore and Kansas City. 53 million people watch Detroit and San Francisco. Um, 38 and a half million people average uh, watched all of the games put together. The ratings have been incredible. Yes, there is a Taylor Swift impact, but that's not the only reason. Taylor Swift is not why 53 million people watch Detroit and San Francisco. Right. I just think that the NFL has really rebounded. Uh, clearly, those that protested the whole social injustice and uh, Colin Kaepernick type type things, those, those people obviously have come back because that has kind of died down a little bit. Um, but say what you want about Roger Goodell, who gets booed more than anyone in the history of the NFL at every draft. He's done his job because at the end of the day, TV ratings generate large TV contracts. TV contracts is what drives the bus and pays all the bills. So 56 million people for a, a, a conference championship game. Clearly, this Super Bowl is gonna potentially be the highest, the, the highest, highest ever yeah. because you have the Taylor Swift impact. You have a close expected game, uh, a rematch from four years ago. The games in Las Vegas, the the media entertainment capital of the world. Everything points to tremendous interest in this game. We could be looking at 110 million people. I would think more than that. I'm telling you, the, the impact of Taylor Swift just from the American audience is when you go worldwide and Taylor Swift is worldwide. I'm telling you, this is going to be the most watched. I, I, I would bet, I would guarantee you, the over under on how many times Taylor Swift is put on camera during this game is going to be six or seven. It's going to be that much. She's going to be on camera more than both of these coaches. You know, I was watching the Grammys before being recorded here, and uh, they were actually showing her a lot. At the Grammys, even when she wasn't nominated for an award, she's just magnet right yeah. now for generating interest, generating ratings in no matter what she is. I mean, she's just magic right now, it's, which it's, is yeah, which it is. is it's, it's, it's like we spoke again off the air. It's even hit the political spectrum in uh, you know uh, for whatever reason, anti-Trump type of uh, or anti-Republican type of uh, you know views, but. 
for it to transcend football into other spectrums of, you know, human interests. That's the impact that she has. Yep, that's it. So we will see what the ratings will be. But Ernie, let's transition to the NBA. We're going to talk about the All-Star game. We're going to tell you who we believe should have made it. My predictions and what actually happened are pretty close. There was just a couple of changes yeah. that I, w- I would make. Uh, I think you feel the same. But clearly the biggest news this week and what I really want to spend most of the rest of the show on is the Lakers' victory over Boston on <laughs> Thursday night. Uh, I want to talk a lot Ouch. about AR-15, Ouch. Austin Reeves. <laughs> Best game of his career. Best game of his career. <laughs> Guys, I had to work late that night, so I didn't even watch this game. I looked, and I thought without LeBron and AD, Boston was going to win by 30, 40 points. I look at the score after. I was like, are you kidding me? You know what? If, if LeBron and AD played, Boston wins this game. I, I do. I, I mean, I clearly <laughs> think so because it was, a, it was obviously a case of Boston playing down to the Lakers level because the two superstars weren't going to play so they weren't Not as motivated and then the Lakers just were on fire to start exactly, exactly. and then when you when, you know even professionals it's not that easy if you're not fully focused and mentally prepared to just turn it on uh, and I think that was the case I think in spurts Boston turned it on brought the game back uh, and then it would ease right, up again right. you know so they didn't have that constant high level of motivation and focus and the Lakers took advantage of that with one of their better three-point shooting nights and ever, Austin, ever. And, and Austin, <laughs> Austin Reeves went off six of eight he started six of eight ended up seven of ten from three-point range 32 points he lit the Celtics up he did you know I got, I, I'm gonna give I'm gonna give props to the Lakers I swear if if LeBron and AD played uh, it wouldn't be this outcome, and I'm tell, I'll tell you why. The ball movement during the second half of that game, that Laker team, as I told you off the air, would have beat 25 of the 30 uh, NBA teams. They played that well. The ball movement was terrific. Sometimes, like you said, when AD and LeBron are there and those uh, you know supporting casts are put into other roles, uh, you get a little squeeze, mm-hmm. you know, a lot more pressure. They had nothing to lose in yep. this game. Exactly. And, and they, they played were, like it. And they played like it. And you know what? Hats off to them. Part of it was that Boston played a terrible first quarter. I didn't think Boston played a terrible second half, in my opinion. I don't think they played a, they played a terrible first quarter. They played a good second quarter to get back into the game. Lakers flat out played better than the Boston Celtics. And like I said, they, they would have beat 25 of the other other. 30 teams in the NBA. They played that good of a second half game. But, you know, hats off to you. I give you that one. <laughs> I give you that one because Boston... Like, Gang, I couldn't wait from Thursday night when I found out the result and especially that Austin Reeves was lighting it up. I couldn't wait for today's recording. Yeah, t- 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 take it now because... I'm the world's biggest... Austin Reeves fan. <laughs> <laughs> I like Austin Reeves. I like and then Austin the Lakers Reeves. come back last night with a victory at Madison Square Garden, knocking off the Knicks who had won nine in a row. Now, granted, they were playing without Julius Randle and Ojeano Ubi, but we'll take it. Yeah. We'll take it. The Lakers on a two-game heater right now because it doesn't happen. Remember I told you last week when we had that big we win? Lost, uh, we, we lost. We're definitely going to lose the next one, and we got hammered by Houston on Monday. 
um, by like 30 points. And then we went to Boston. And at, no, we lost two in a row. We lost to Houston and then we lost to somebody else right after. And then we went to Boston. So I was like, oh my gosh, we're going to go on a four game losing streak here. But they rebounded against Boston and uh, and the New York Knicks to get back to 500 yeah. where they are destined to be. No, I think I think it's it's not like that. Right after that, uh, the play-in tournament where they're playing pretty good ball, I really thought it was an anomaly that, you know, they lost all those games afterwards. To me, this is a rebound, you know, coming back to the norm. I think, I, I, to me, I, you can't discount a Laker team with LeBron and AD. And Austin Reeves. And, and, and Austin Reeves. <laughs> <laughs> AR-15. Give me that now. <laughs> All right, let's transition to the All-Star game. Let's start in the uh, in the East because that's where Ernie's Boston Celtics go. If you guys remember, the starters came out uh, a week ago. Joel Embiid, Giannis, Jason Tatum were the frontcourt players. Halliburton and Damian Lillard were the backcourt players. Joel Embiid is having knee surgery could very well be out for the year clearly they're going to have to have a replacement for him uh put in there but ernie first of all i know last week you said damian Lillard shouldn't have been a starter yeah so just overall the east players were selected you can kind of run through that and then tell me if you agree or disagree or who would you have changed for who was nominated yeah oh i'll just i would first of all i would put jalen brunson as the you know, over Damian Lillard, Jalen Brunson, who I thought had a terrific year last year, would come back down to earth this year. I, I, I thought he was too diminutive to play in this NBA team. The Dallas Mavericks must be kicking themselves in the butt right now because, mm-hmm. you know, they didn't want to pay him. And the good thing for the New York Knicks that they were able to do it. And, and, and his, his, his hometown, he, he, he uh, you know, he grew up in that, in that area. So good for uh, Jalen Brunson. But he's been playing terrific, terrific you basketball. You know, Embiid's injury, I think Brunson is a top four MVP <sighs> candidate with, with the Joker and Giannis right now. He's right there because they have the second best record in the East. Mm-hmm. And he is the main reason why. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, I, I, I agree. I mean, he has been lights out for the Knicks. Yeah. And Donovan, <coughs> I mean, Damian Lillard uh, is an excellent player. Now, I'm not saying that he's a bad player. He's a top 70. I don't I don't hit him off of the top 75 players of all time. Man. He, he deserves to be in on that plateau. But uh, for this year, Jalen Brunson over Damian Lillard. Damian Lillard. To the reserves, uh, just to go over the reserves right now, uh, they had Bam Adebayo, uh, Paulo Bancaro, Jalen Brown, uh, the aforementioned Jalen Brunson, Donovan Mitchell, Tyrese Maxey, and Julius Randle. I would leave out Julius Randle. I think he's he he played good in spurts, especially during this nine-game winning streak. I think he's come back, but for the most part, like you said. Jalen Brunson have been has been driving driving yeah. that bus. Well, Julius Randle is out, so he's gonna have he's gonna have to be replaced. But he's averaging twenty four and a half, nine rebounds and five assists, so he's still putting up great numbers. I just think it pales. I think he's being overshadowed by Jalen Brunson. I think yeah, I, I think it's just opportunity. Watch watch the OG Ananobi effect. From now out, I'll start break until the end of the year. I if you just take those stats, I can almost guarantee you those numbers. Uh, 
pale, will pale in comparison. I, I just think he's he's there. There are people who get stats just because of the way their lineup works. And I think Jalen uh, Julius Randle is a part. Of, I mean, he's not bad. I'm not saying he's a bad player. But I think he benefits off of the New York Knicks system mm-hmm. and the way that uh, Thibodeau uh, coaches that team. He's, he's, he's an integral part uh, you know, of their offense and defense. Uh, but in my opinion, when you compare that towards other people in the NBA, how they impact their team, I don't look at just stats for Randall. Randall might have better stats than other players, but I would pick other players over his position. I would say that maybe... A Pascal Siakam, maybe uh, rivaling uh, Julius Randle over there in that particular position. Uh, who else? I mean, I might sound like a homer, but Porzingis maybe in that position. Yeah, I, you know? I, and I, I think you know. So Ernie is right. I mean, the the well, who did you have that that was different? You agree with everything except the Julius Randle? I I. I Julius Randle and I would I'm up in the air on Bankero because of the way that the Magic have fallen off over the last you know six weeks they tremendous start once teams know you're there you know and they know how to game plan against you you drop off uh, I take that into account <clears throat> so those two for me in my opinion are <clears throat> Off of the list, even Bam to a certain extent. I don't know if it's the effect of me of my night. I don't have nightmares about Bam and Miami. I have nightmares about Jimmy Butler and Miami. So I just remember that as a Boston Celtic fan that maybe Jimmy Butler should have been on there. But then, then again, that's that's biased towards you know him playing the Boston Celtics. Well, and, and I think there has to be front court and back court players, and I think that's that's the key. And then the two injured guys, Joel Embiid and Julius Randle. Both front court players, so the replacements for them, I would assume Christoph Porzingis is going to replace um, Joel Embiid. I I would expect that he's going to be the replacement for him because I don't see another legitimate big man. Um, Because for me, the people who just missed that were having really good years are all small. There's Mikhail Bridges, but the Nets have been awful this year. Uh, DeMar DeRozan is having his similar type year. Trey Young, surprisingly, not surprisingly because Atlanta's not doing well, but he's at 27 and 11 assists. But he's a, a... backcourt player jimmy butler he misses a lot of games though he's a backcourt player um so i think christoph porzingis is gonna make it and i and i actually think that pascal siakam it's either gonna be pascal siakam or scotty barnes yeah that replaces julius randall depends which way you want to go i think indianapolis indiana's having the better year although siakam and barnes were together for most of the the first half um so i think it's going to come down to porzingis is going to make it for Embiid, and i think it's going to be either siakam or scotty barnes taking julius randall's place yeah just because of the fact that it's in indiana and you only have halliburton i could see turner that's a that, that's a that's a good that's a good point i I, no, I think it's going to be Siakam. Okay. <laughs> I think they're going to... You're right. I mean, he's only been there for, what, about two, two three weeks? Yeah. But that is a pacer, and it does make sense. It's not like he's 
not de- equally as deserving. But yeah, being in his home court, I can't I can't see them going in another direction. That's a great point, Ernie. So let's switch to the West. Uh, a reminder that LeBron, the Joker, and Durant were the front court players. Luca and SGA were the back court players. No real argument there. The the subs that came out. Uh, Steph Curry, Kawhi Leonard, Devin Booker, Anthony Davis, Anthony Edwards, Paul George, and Carl Anthony Towns. So I'll take the West. Um, The only issue that I had was, for me, I had De'Aaron Fox and DeMontis Sabonis over Paul George and Carl Anthony Towns. Now, I get Paul George is one of the better two-way players. I get the fact that the Clippers have played great, great basketball. So I get that. I, I, I understand that. But I think Sacramento has played too well to not have anyone Any, on the yeah. team. And I think DeMontis Sabonis deserved it more than Carl Anthony Towns. And Sabonis is averaging 20 points, leads the NBA with 13 rebounds a game, eight assists a game, leads the NBA as much as we love uh, the the Joker uh, Sabonis is second in triple doubles this year I think he deserves it more than Carl Anthony Towns I think he's having a better all-around season I think Carl Anthony Towns is averaging more points but that's really about it and I think it was to his detriment when he put up the 62 points but they lost because he was chasing a individual accomplishment and the team ended up losing i think that hurts that so for me i would have had the aaron fox and sabonis over paul george um and carl anthony towns but i get the paul george part so if you want to leave fox out um for george i get it but i would not leave off sabonis for carl anthony towns i think he got ripped off there. yeah i agree i mean carl anthony towns cat is basically there's 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 argument uh, that he was, that uh, Gobert should have been picked over Carl Anthony Towns, let alone Sabonis. But I agree with you. I mean, to not have uh, at least one of them, you know, as far as Sabonis and Fox is concerned. And in, in my opinion, Fox is, uh, if, if it didn't come down to position and need, I would put Fox over Sabonis. You know, at twenty-seven and a half points yeah. a game, I mean, four rebounds, he's, five he's, and a half assists. Yeah, I mean, Mr. Clutch from yeah. last year. Yeah. I mean, and I think that's the difference with De'Aaron Fox and Sabonis. I think Sabonis is very, very important, but Fox makes the clutch plays yeah. down the stretch. He's, he's he is pertinent to winning those games. So, uh, yeah, travesty on top of on, on that decision in my opinion and i know this is an all-star game if this is all pro then i have a, i'd have a bigger beef uh i told you off air last week i mean uh i think uh the voting on this should be a little bit skewed i'm not saying take the fans vote out of it this is a fans game they should still have the 50 percent i say take away the players vote in my opinion ben simmons for goodness sake was uh had all-star uh, votes in his position. I mean, uh, that that's that's ludicrous in my opinion. Even though you are an NBA player, I mean, take that bias out of it. Now, I do think that NBA players should have a part in this in regards to uh, what do you call that? Having I, I I heard on one podcast they wanted the players to pick any uh, what do you call that injury reserves because really the top half of what they chose looks right on par it's just these other players mm-hmm. the outliers you know the yeah. lower part that don't make don't make sense but in my opinion the 
this should be changed to 50% fan, 50% media, I mean 25% media, 25% coach. And right now the coaches are, are just voting for the, the reserves, mm-hmm. you know. But I think it should be straight off the bat, starters all the way out to reserves, let the players have uh, a part in it, but only towards the people who, you know, are taking injured players and, and go, go from there. That To me, that... Yeah, because the play, the players, I don't know, <laughs> they have they have some of the worst choices out there. All right, so people who just missed for me in the West, and there's some real good ones. I mean, Laurie Markkinen is having another really good year, twenty four points, nine rebounds a game. Zion, surprisingly, not surprisingly, because Zion was once one of the most popular young players he was way down in the voting um but he's averaging 22 five and a half and five he's healthy he's out yep he's healthy uh and but he has missed 14 games though and then alperin sengun mm. i believe he's a stud he's averaging 22 points 5.6 rebounds and two assists no nine rebounds and five assists jaron jackson who was an all-star last year still having a good year at 22 points and then there's victor uh Wembenyama. You know, he's averaging 21 points, 10 rebounds, and leads the NBA with 3.2 blocks a game in less than 25 minutes a game. So on a per-minute basis, his stats are off the charts, but it's hard to have him in there when San Antonio is atrocious this yeah. year Yeah, you know, with, with 10 wins. And, of course, Jamal Murray's having a good year, but he missed a handful of games to start. And then Desmond Bain's having his regular Desmond Bain year, but Memphis is... is is terrible this Seller, year yeah. without uh, without John Moran and all the other and injuries <laughs> that they have. So those are some of the names that I just wanted to mention that they're having good years, but not good enough to to make an All Star team. Like we both said, Car Anthony Towns should not have made this team. Um, whether it be for Sabonis, in my opinion, or De'Aaron Fox, I think Sacramento deserved one All Star representative. Yeah, and to me, the 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 travesty all of this, and it's not to his fault, was is Jamal Murray, because that guy has never. It's hard to believe he has never been to an All Star game. I can't. It's it's baffling to me. You know, if someone were just to come up to me, you know, off the street and ask me that question, maybe two weeks ago. I, I would uh you know hesitated not to say yeah. yes. Well, that, a while back they weren't that good, right? So he he was getting the De'Aaron, you know the De'Aaron Fox treatment, and then he missed two years with the ACL, yeah. um, and then this year he should have made it, but, but he got hurt. Injured. Yeah, he's yeah, got so injured. he missed too many games, and I think that impacted him. But definitely he's he has to be right now one of the best players in the NBA, never to make an All Star team. Yeah, and if he doesn't hit the tw- uh, the sixty five game minimum. He might not even make all pro, which, yeah. you know, which I mean, all NBA, which is. Yeah, know, I uh, think it's it has to be between Jamal Murray and uh, Austin Reeves, the best NBA player right. never to make an all star. game. Yeah, I'm, so, I'm surprised you didn't even mention him <laughs> until now. <laughs> <laughs> if I was voting. Yeah, I know. <laughs> you, right. You'd have him. Uh, you'd have him. You'd have Rui Hachimura in there. Well, Rui's been disappointing, but I think that's more on Darvin Ham and the Lakers' use of him. Uh, I think he's lost his confidence a little bit. But I'm going to go into my closing thought. But before I do, I do want to acknowledge the Hawaii Sports Radio Network again. They do a phenomenal job. They're all over this island uh, with OIA Sports and with HPU Sports and Chaminade Sports. And, of course, um, they carry all of the Clipper basketball games usc football and basketball dallas cowboys they do an amazing job weekday mornings kuule and
Dan, uh, Paul Breck from 8 a.m. to 9 a.m. on Wake Up in the Den. We do want to acknowledge them, uh, the Hawaii Sports Radio Network. They're our biggest supporter. You can listen to our podcast directly on their website at hisportsradio.com. Our appreciation for them. I do want to transition to my closing thought. We're going to stick with the NBA here. And this is not a topic that I've not covered before, but it came up again this week. Because we're starting to get a sense from some of these NBA stars that they're not going to get to the 65-game minimum in order to qualify for these awards. And I think earlier this week, Tyrese Halliburton in an interview said the 65-game rule is, quote, stupid. Uh, And after that came out, he received a tremendous amount of backlash from the Colin Cowherds and the Stephen A. Smiths and and really anyone that has a a talk show. So what I want to do is just kind of discuss this for a little bit and then I'll ask Ernie for for his feedback. But I think, Ernie, that these NBA players have become so tone deaf to the reality of the situation that's happening right now. So the NBA put this rule into place because so many players were sitting out games, sitting out nationally televised games, sitting out road games, um, and all of their salaries are being paid by TV contracts. And if the TVs are paying exorbitant amounts of money and no one is shooting up for TV games, that's a problem. So the NBA put into effect what I thought was a very generous 65 game, 20 minutes per game average minimum to qualify for all NBA teams. Essentially, all you have to do is play 79% of your games and you can qualify for this. And if you don't, It's not that you give back your salary. It's not that you get penalized in any way, shape, or form. You just don't qualify to be All-NBA or win an MVP. And maybe some of your salaries are tied to this. But I would expect that over time, that's going to go away. These agents are not going to tie salaries to all MBAs because of this kinds of th- these types of things. But the mentality to say that it's stupid to have to participate in 79% of your working schedule in order to qualify for a performance bonus is really tone deaf because I don't know another profession in the world that you can just not show up for work be fired. 20% of the time be fired. and you expect <laughs> to get performance bonuses yeah. uh, on top of that. It's not their salaries are not going to be impacted at all. These guys are still making, Halliburton's making $50 million a year now, just signing a five-year $250 million contract. So I thought he sounded really, really tone deaf. Draymond Green said the exact same thing uh, last week in regards to Joel Embiid because clearly now Joel Embiid is not going to get anywhere near 65. But I think Ernie, and I talked about this with Ernie off the air, and I alluded to this a little bit earlier when we talked about the NFL and the ratings that they have. Um, One of the reasons why I think the NBA is struggling right now from a ratings perspective is that these players have become so disconnected to the reality of the average person. The average fan, um, the average person that wants to attend a game, who's watching on TV, there are way more fans like me that are not psychotically watching every single thing out there than there are like Ernie, who literally watches every single Boston Celtic game. 82 regular season games and as many playoff games as they have 
and preseason games he'll watch as well. But there are less like Ernie and there are more like me. And I think one of the reasons why the NFL is so popular and gaining in popularity is that the average fan can see that these players are laying it on the line every week. They're playing with injuries. They're playing with cortisone shots. They're playing. They're they're literally dropping dead on the on the field and fighting their way back um, to play towards the end of the season after their heart stops in, uh, on the field. Um, it's just a gladiator mentality. And part of it is, is people gravitate towards seeing violence. That's why boxing was once popular and UFC is really popular. So I think the violence part works, but I think football players are much more relatable from the, they're going to show up and they're going to play even if they're, they're, taking IVs at halftime. They can barely walk. They're going to play. They're going to play. They're going to play. And then these NBA players are like, you know what? Back-to-back games are hard. Um, And then the old-time players get really offended. Magic and Charles Barkley and Shaq. I mean, in their days, they were flying commercial airlines to all of these games, staying in regular hotels. These players are being flown around in custom-made jets where it's comfortable for them. They're staying in luxurious hotels. They have the best in nutrition, the best in training, the best in fitness, all of these things at their disposal. Yet they think it is wrong to expect them to show up 65 games a year out of 82. And I I shared this with Ernie the other day too. A recent game between Traditional powers, marquee brand names, the the Miami Heat and the Boston Celtics played a game and more people watched South Carolina LSU women's college basketball than watched the Heat and the Celtics NBA game. Think about that for a second. Just think about more people watching women's college basketball. And it wasn't Caitlin Clark who's setting all kinds of phenomenal records in terms of attendance and 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 ratings um, over the Heat and the Celtics. And if that doesn't scare the NBA and Adam Silver, they put this in place. But if the players continue to say stupid things like this, it still turns people off. It still turns fans off and it'll still chase people away, even if they're putting things into place. So that's my rant. Halliburton, I like you as a player. I love you as a player, actually. Uh, I think you're a tremendous player, but um, your generation has completely lost touch with the majority of the people around the world because basketball is a worldwide sport. Some of the best players in the world are from outside of the United States, yet Even with that global reach, more people watched LSU and South Carolina women's basketball than the Heat and the Celtics. That is alarming to me. Your thoughts are in it. I'm going to agree with you. First of all, Halliburton, I think, is just too young to have uh, uh, that type of opinion. I don't think he's been uh, around the league or had advice. Uh, like you said, he's a good guy. I like him as a player. I wanted Boston Celtics to actually draft him when he was coming. I was hoping he, that he dropped to the 14th position, uh, but you know that wasn't the case. Uh, in any ways, 65 games uh, to appease this point. Uh, I can understand in some very rare cases where 65 games it would not be stupid, but might be too much. Uh, and I was talking to Monty that. Maybe put it on a minutes basis where maybe you, 
it's either 65 games or 60 games, but you hit a certain amount of minutes. Because I can see that, here's what I think. This, this is what I think is going to happen this year, in fact. I think as the year goes by, towards the ending of the, uh, of the year, and this is where normally the championship teams want to rest people mm-hmm. if, you got, if you got those games, that you see guys going in for one quarter and then getting subbed out because they want to make the All-Star game. Mm-hmm. I mean, they want to get you know their performance yeah. basis. I see that, again, it's going to have to be good uh, special circumstances, but I could foresee that happening. You know, with the Kawhi Leonard's, the mm-hmm. you know the uh, Paul George or wh- yeah. whoever is on yeah. that borderline. So to me, a minutes, you know, thing on top uh, that put on top, top there would maybe help negate that possibility. But you're absolutely correct in regards to hey, if I don't have this product, especially with the likes, uh, you know, this product in the NBA, which has grown tremendously. In the last 20 years, I saw a report out there when uh, Mark Cuban sold uh, the majority part of the Dallas Mavericks. He bought that team for like under 300 million and he sold a majority, not the whole Indian, the whole team, three and a half billion. So you're, you're talking about like 13, 14 times the amount that he originally paid for just a majority part. Mm-hmm. So it's grown, like you said, internationally and whatnot. It's grown tremendously. But if you don't stay on this train, because here's what's hurting the NBA. Stuff like this, and I hate to say it because I truly believe in social equality. It's not, I thought Black Lives Matters hurt the game, in my opinion. It was a good thing, you know, to get the word out there, in my opinion. It was very good. But the way they went out and did it, I think, was a little bit too much, in my opinion. Use the platform, but... Uh, well, let's not even get into that category. I might get the uh, heat mail <laughs> that. But I think that hurt the game. I thought John Morant and his antics kind of hurt the game. We're, we're, the NBA, if they're not careful enough right now, they may lose. And I think that's a good, better part of the reason why, at least at, during this part of the uh, TV schedule, that you're not getting the TV ratings, like you said. I think it's surviving you know, based upon the valuation of these teams, which have gone up, you know, exponentially, you're surviving off of international, you know, the worldwide. It's, mm-hmm. it's bigger than football uh, as far as the international flavor is concerned. Basketball is, you know, number one or number two or number three in various amount of countries. Where the NFL is, you know, number one here, but you can't even... You'd, you'd be hard-pressed to see it in the top three in a lot of other nations out there. Yeah, that definitely. I mean, I definitely agree. I, I just think these players, and, and ba- basketball players make the most money. They do because they play 82 games versus 16 yeah, I mean, versus they, 162 for baseball. And now their contracts are 50, 60. So it, it's just unconscionable that you think that showing up for 80% of your work at $50 million a year. Not all of them make that, but those are the ones that are voicing themselves because those are the ones that have the most to lose if they're not all NBA. Wasn't LeBron one of them? That said about the 65? Yeah. I haven't heard LeBron grumbling about that. It was that. just Embiid and Halliburton? Well, Embiid didn't say anything. It was Halliburton it was Draymond. Oh, Draymond. Yeah, Embiid didn't, didn't say anything um, about it as well. You, I think you sure Draymond people, said that? I like Draymond. Yeah, Draymond said that. <laughs> Draymond is always going to be pro, pro player. Uh, he's always going to say things oh that, that are a little bit controversial. So that that's my opinion. I think the NBA has a great game. They have tremendous athletes, a good 
product when everybody shows up to play playoff basketball is tremendous uh when both teams are all there and motivated it's a wonderful thing to watch but the reality is it doesn't happen until the playoff starts yeah the entire regular season you have a handful of matchups where teams are motivated Sixers, celtics um lakers suns but even now Lakers and it used to be the biggest games of our when we were growing up Magic and Bird the two biggest games of the year and the Lakers go to Boston and Boston Lakers sit out LeBron and and AD in Boston Um, that those things would never ever have happened before Jordan wouldn't be like nah I don't want to play at Madison Square Garden I'm going to sit that out it would never happen and it's happening regularly and if I'm a TV station and I'm getting outdrawn by college women's basketball. Why am I going to re-up for $8 billion the next time the contract comes out? I mean, it's at the end of the day, there has to be a return on that investment. And right now, it's just not there. Now, whether it turns around by, by, um, by the time the contract comes up, we'll see. But I think the NBA is playing a dangerous game. And I think that's one of the reasons why it is waning in interest And the NFL is exploding in interest in this country. NBA, uh, NFL players are just more relatable because they put on their hard hat and they go to work when they don't feel like it, when they're hurt, when they're sick. Uh, they go to work just like you and I do. Hey, they 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 put themselves in danger. I mean, they, they literally put, put themselves in danger. Yeah, line. because they concussion pro. We we gotta set rules for NFL players so they don't destroy themselves in regards to concussion protocol. I mean, and they're all bigger, stronger, faster. faster. They're 250 to 350 pound, yeah. fast, explosive, like a kid getting hit by a car 20, 25 times a game. Um, but they show up. They don't last to sit out four or five games of the year. But that's a long enough rant for me. I went off on that. But I just, I just feel strongly. I just, <laughs> no, I, agree. Think, I just have a, a sense that we all should be grateful for what we have and be grateful for those that give us that. And in all sports, their revenue is driven, at the end of the day, by fans. And the fans are the ones that are getting screwed the most by the NBA versus any other league out there. Sitting out their stars, not showing up, and making so much money. Um, the fans are getting screwed. One, you can't even afford a ticket. So when you do splurge that one time a year... And all your favorite players sit out. It's a travesty. It is. And it's hard to build loyal, uh, young followers when that happens. So, again, that was my my rant for the day. <laughs> Do you agree? Sports Rivals on IG on Facebook. Sports Rivals, pod, uh, Sports Rivals pod on IG and Facebook. Sports Rivals on X or Twitter. Tell us what you think. Do you agree or do you not agree? But, again, Super Bowl happens one week from today. Ernie likes the Chiefs 27 to 24. I like the Chiefs 23 to 21. Ernie sees Mahomes as the MVP. I'm going with local boy Isaac Pacheco uh, in the surprise MVP vote. Anything else, Ernie? I'm good. All right, in, in women's soccer here locally, congratulations, Punahou and Pac-5 for your state titles. And until next week, the sports rivals are out. Thank you for joining us on the Sports Rivals Podcast. Check us out on social media at Sports Rivals Podcasts on Instagram and at Sports Rivals Pod on Twitter, where you can share topics you'd like to hear. 